Habits and Health, episode 39. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of the podcast where we give you ideas to around improving your health. And today's episode, episode 39, is with Dr. Miles Nichols, who is the co-founder of Medicine with Heart Clinic and the Medicine with Heart Institute in uh, Colorado. He grew up in a medical background. His father was a medical doctor who suffered, um, well, he passed away, and Miles was quite a young age. And so we're going to hear a lot more about how that affected Miles and the direction that led him to take in the, in the world of medicine. So we're going to hear a lot more from Miles very soon. If you like this episode, and if you know anyone who thinks who you think maybe gets some value from this, please do share the episode with them. Habits and Health, my guest today, Dr. Miles Nichols. How are you doing, Miles? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm very well, and you're a, a, a snowboarder, I hear. Yeah, yeah, based in Colorado. And did are you from Colorado, or did you move there because of the snowboarding? <laughs> no, neither. I, I'm from Arizona originally, from the desert, which is uh, hot and over, very very hot in the summer, and no win- winter to speak of there. So it took me at college. I, I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and that's where I first was able to discover snowboarding and and in a winter a proper winter yeah i don't imagine you can do a lot of snowboarding in arizona no not at all <laughs> and how do you i mean do you enjoy living in colorado i love it it's beautiful here the nature is amazing there's year-round hiking that's really beautiful and i live sort of i feel like in the forest i'm surrounded by pine trees and aspen trees and it's i I see deer and i I love the the feeling of living out in the forest and there's research coming in about forest bathing and how good it is for for human health so i feel that well i i can very much identify what you're saying i mean we we spoke a little bit before the recording started and i i made a similar move last year i mean it doesn't sound quite as idyllic as what you're describing but yeah it's quite a nice where I'm living as well so when did you when did you make that decision to go out to Colorado how long ago was that that was about 16 years ago now and that was to go to to trans I transferred schools and college and decided I wanted to shift where I was going to college what I was studying and so I found a school in Boulder, Colorado, a college that was founded by a Buddhist monk, actually, and okay. that it was had a, a psychology program. It was a mix of the Western and Eastern psychologies together. And I got to minor in yoga and major in psychology and a very interesting version of it. And that was uh, really really good choice. I, I felt good about being able to find that kind of a, a program. It offered a lot for me. It sounds fascinating. And I'm from what I know about what you do, I'm guessing that's informed a lot of what you you do now really is uh, in your line of work. 
Yeah. I mean, what I do now is really functional medicine and that's looking at a lot of lab tests and making a lot of decisions about things like supplementation and vitamins and minerals and looking at hormones, looking at many different aspects of chronic illnesses like Lyme disease or toxin exposures like mold or mold toxin. And of course, I have really seen the importance of managing stress. And even with chronic illness, what I've noticed is there's a lot of quite a bit of a a spectrum of of trauma, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be classically necessarily defined as trauma, but but the someone struggling to get through their day, someone having a hard time with being able to maintain relationships because of their health condition. This creates some pretty significant levels for for people of, of depression, of anxiety, of of difficulty dealing with their day to day, and and it's a kind of a a trigger. People start to think about it in a way that that's really negative, and that contributes to a worsened spiral of that health condition getting worse. So, so I do integrate brain retraining uh, and meditation and breath work and, and cold exposure and things like that into together with doing things like nutrition and supplementation and looking at specific treatments for specific conditions. And it's, I mean, it's quite a different approach to what most people receive when they go and see a doctor in almost in, in any part of the world. So how do, do people specifically seek you out because they've heard about you? Or do you get really surprised people when they come to you not knowing anything about any of this? And then they're like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. Yeah, yeah. We really do get people seeking seeking us out because uh, often they, they hear about the different kind of work we're doing and, and that we, that we specialize and work with things like Lyme disease and mold illness and thyroid issues, gut issues and autoimmunity are kind of the top five things we work with. Now we, because those are causes of a lot of different not everyone understands this, but most people who get the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, for example, which is this chronic pain all over the body, most people have one of these things that we test for and find. They may have Lyme or another chronic infection. They may have exposure to mold or other toxins that build up in the body that are contributing to that pain by creating a chronic inflammatory response. People who are diagnosed with chronic fatigue wind up often having root causes that relate also to what we specialize in. People who have diagnoses of depression and anxiety, there's actually good research showing that infections, it it was originally found with strep in kids, would change their personality very quickly. Mm -hmm. Kids would overnight stop being able to concentrate and focus and have a hard time behaviorally and start having a lot of stress and anxiety. And it took a while for doctors to realize and researchers to confirm, but they eventually found that there are infections that can lead the immune system to attack receptor sites in the brain 
for neurotransmitters like dopamine, for example. And dopamine is important for mood regulation. And so that can create the conditions for someone to all of a sudden become stressed out easily, anxious, depressed. So we get a lot of people who have things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, anxiety or depression, and it's of unknown cause. Like maybe they've gone and they've gotten some treatment for it, but it's not resolved. And they want to try to figure out the causes. And so that's one camp are people who are kind of in that, that I don't know what's going on. It's a mystery. And I'd like to try to figure it out. And then the other camp is people who I know I have Lyme or I know I've been exposed to mold. And a lot of those people hear about us too. And is there, you mentioned about two camps of people there. I'm wondering if there's, there's probably other camps as well who just simply want medication. And they don't care about what it is or how they just want medication for it. And I guess they're not, they're not the kind of people that will come and see you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not the, the give a pill to cure your ill kind of clinic. We're yeah. very much um, in our initial conversation with people talk a lot about how the way we work with people involves many aspects of, yes, we will do labs and we will prescribe a protocol, but we'll also be asking people to make changes in their diet to do things. A lot of people who come to see us, they already, they're already pretty self-studied and they're aware of their diet and they've made changes. So, so we don't get a lot of resistance to that, but occasionally someone comes in and, and they haven't really worked on that front. And we say, you know, this is going to be more than just taking some a, a pill or, or a protocol. You're probably going to be, we're going to be asking you to do some things in, in your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, and we find that specific breath protocols, specific practices for brain retraining, specific things that people can do that don't take a lot of time, but make a big difference in the treatment outcome. Because since we do deal with a population that's so a lot of times people have been to four five, six, sometimes 10, 12 other practitioners by the time they get to our clinic. And so often they've done a lot with diet already. They've taken a lot of the basic vitamins and minerals and supplements, and they've often done many different kinds of therapies. They've often done a lot of acupuncture and massage and chiropractic, and they're often still feeling like something's missing. And that's it's challenging because it means that a lot of the basics have been covered already by other practitioners, but it's fun. It's a, it's a fun challenge to work with a population who really is doing a lot and willing to do a lot for themselves and yet is still struggling. And I have so much empathy for, for people like this because I also struggled with my own health journey and, and, and it's sort of like in my early twenties, I had chronic fatigue and it, and, and I would look around me and I would see other early 20 year olds. They would be staying up late. They'd be drinking. They'd be waking up early. They seemed to have all the energy in the world. They were functioning. It seemed just fine. And here I am changing my diet, taking all this stuff, trying to figure this out. 
and I'm still struggling to wake up in the morning, still struggling to be able to feel like I have the energy to make it through my day. And, and this is so common, unfortunately, with the, the people that we see in the clinic are, 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 are so dramatically different than the people around them. Mm. I, I mean, as you were describing all the different conditions, you know, like the, the Lyme disease and, and fibromyalgia and so on, I mean, how prevalent is, is that something that's more, is that very prevalent in the area that you're in? Is it across much of North America? I mean, what would you say about that, those kind of conditions? Yeah, it's actually known to be more on the east coast of the United States, but and I'm more on the southwest side. But recently, the Bay Area Lyme Foundation, which is in California, on the very west coast of the United States, released a paper where they had found many lime-carrying ticks in the brush at the beach on the West Coast. And so it's becoming more and more understood and realized that this is the fastest, one of the fastest growing infectious diseases and that there are species that are more native in Europe and Asia and so all over the world, really, we're seeing, and some of it, Lyme disease is just one bacteria, Borrelia, Burgdorferi, but there are what are called co-infections or referred to as, you know, sometimes I don't like to say that we work with Lyme because it's a little limiting. We really work with chronic infections. And these days we're dealing with many different chronic infections. There's Bartonella and Bartonella can be transmitted from cats, cat scratch fever, many people have heard of, and that can become chronic. It can be transmitted from ticks. It can be transmitted from dogs. It can be transmitted through other insects as well. And so there's also Babesia, which is a parasite that can be transmitted from different vectors. So there are many different, and of course, today there's an understanding that there's many different ways that viruses and bacteria and parasites can transmit and that most people are probably walking around exposed to some of those. And some people don't have any negative reaction whatsoever. And other people get sick for a short time and then they're better. And other people have what's called a chronic a, a chronic syndrome that, that that evolves as a result, the infection takes hold and, and they get chronically inflamed as a result. And it, would you say, I'm wondering as you were speaking then, is it a, kind of an accumulation of the toxicity and the molds and the poor nutrition and stress and a kind of accumulation of all of that is why these things are happening more now? It is, yeah. It's, it's, it, there's a combination of some people are genetically predisposed to have a hard time with toxin from mold, for example. So there's, there's a genetic relationship. It's about 24% of the population in, in the research that we have, which is almost one in four. So that's pretty significant. But it means that you could have four people living in a home and only one is getting ill and no one suspects the home. So mm -hmm. it's often missed. And then it's not even though there might be the genetic predisposition, it may or may not express. And whether a gene expresses might depend on the level of stress that there is and 
the diet and whether they're inflammatory foods and the stress levels and the emotional state of the individual. So we often, uh, when we're doing a case history for someone who's coming into the clinic, I often trace it back and find that, oh, there were these couple of traumatic events in childhood, which there's studies on adverse childhood experiences or called ACEs that show that you get later in life an increased incidence of things like autoimmunity and heart disease when you have more than one adverse childhood experience. So we'll see, we'll see those start very early. We'll see a couple stack in early life usually. And then someone may have lived in a home that was water damaged for a period of time. So they may have had some mold exposure and then they may have had some tick bite and some exposure to chronic infection. And then maybe it's when they're in their thirties that they have a relationship go south and they go through a divorce. And that's when it starts to express. They, they're actually feeling ill now, whereas before their immune system was managing it okay. Their body was managing it. So it is, sometimes we call this the allostatic load. There's this, there, there's a, a threshold below which the body can stay resilient and handle the pressures and stressors of life. And then if it crosses a certain point, then it pushes the body into this chronic inflammatory response that then a person can start to feel very ill and have strange symptoms and have autoimmune issues arise and get diagnosed with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue and all of this other medical stuff that can come up as a result of, just as you said it, a, a constellation of stress and toxin and infection all coming together in that perfect storm to overload. Our bodies are so resilient. Mm. We can really, there's a lot that our bodies can take, but if it gets pushed over the edge, then, then it can seem as if people feel very off internally, even if they look normal externally. And even if they go to the doctor and the doctor says you're normal, that happened when I had chronic fatigue. I went to the doctor, they ran some blood tests. They said, Oh, you're normal. Maybe you just have some depression and it got dismissed as if it was something in my mind only. And it wasn't also something in my body. And it took me a long time to figure out the things to test for, to find that I did have an infection in my gut. I had two chronic infections, Babesia and Bartonella. I had been exposed to mold and there was, there. it took a while, but I figured out a constellation of things going on. And was it was that experience what led you to study functional medicine in the first place? It played a role. Growing up, my father was uh, he was a doctor, and he had uh, he worked with public health, and he he sent mobile clinics. Out. He founded a rural health office that would send mobile clinics to rural areas and give underprivileged people access to basic health care, and and he wound up working in policymaking and, and politics for a while, trying to pass certain bills to get access for people to healthcare. And, and, and when I was 15, I, I was babysitting for a friend of my sister's. And I remember when I got a call from a family friend who said, something's happened. Your, your father's in the hospital. 
And it turned out that he had passed suddenly and unexpectedly from a heart attack. And, and we didn't see that coming. So that, that really, it, that propelled me to first deal with my own grief. I, and, and to start to question what happened. He had top-notch medical training. He knew what, what most medical practitioners knew. He, he was, um, he had the, best schooling that was available to him and uh, best medical education. He was at, at uh, Stanford medical school and that's a very prestigious school. And so what I started to realize was that I started to question one, he had a lot of stress going on because he was doing a lot and there, he was having pressure. And I started to realize also that the traditional medical education didn't include some of the things like, nutrition and mindfulness and how to deal with stress. It, it really looked at, at how to, how to manage the symptoms of disease and, and managing the symptoms of disease uh, was so uninteresting to me. I, I still, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I like it. I, if, if someone's in pain, it, they should be able to access something that can help. So, so I, I really appreciate that, medicine offers what it offers in the way that it helps people to manage their symptoms and get by. And it absolutely saves lives and it's eliminated so many acute infections and there's so much good that's come out of it. It's just that the, the territory has shifted. It used to be that people would die from things like tuberculosis and, and pneumonia. And those were in the top 10 causes of death. Medicine solved that, but where where medicine is falling short today is that seven of the top 10 causes of death today are chronic diseases in nature and 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 things like heart disease that that my father suffered from there's a lot of underlying things that build up in order to produce that that we can really see early on when we do some advanced diagnostic lab testing uh, we have markers that show that if you head down this path, if you continue down this path in a couple of years, there's likely to be an issue. And so, so for me, his passing inspired me to want to do, I, I told myself I didn't want to have that happen to my family someday, you know, and I didn't want to, I, I wanted to help others not have that happen to their family because I felt that my father was at the peak and the pinnacle of his career. He was helping a lot of people. And if he had been around another 20 or 30 years, he could have helped so many more people. And it, so I dedicated from that point myself to, to in most of my free time, really study everything related to a bigger picture of more the, the, the chronic health epidemic that I see going on today and, in the United States, it's to the point where the CDC says it's six in 10 Americans have at least one chronic disease. That's, that's, it was, it was four in 10 and then, and then it's, um, it shifted and, and it just keeps rising. It, it keeps rising. Autoimmunity is on the rise. Diabetes is on the rise. Obesity is on the rise. And so I've felt passionate that I need to do something about the part, the, the population of people who are not being served right now in 
their health picture in the way of uh, getting to the root cause of some of the the chronic health conditions like autoimmunity and like cardiovascular disease and some of these big killers today or 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 big quality of life issues that people have so that's that that was a big part of it and then and then going through my own health struggle propelled me to find the therapies that worked because I tried a lot of things that didn't work. Hmm. Uh, I went to dozens of different practitioners. I tried just about everything you can think of. I did lots of, uh, I, I did whatever standard medicine I could, I could, I went to a specialist, I went to a sleep specialist. I tried to look at different things that I could do um, through uh, naturopaths and acupuncturists and, and massage therapists. I got energy work. I got, I went to psychics. I mean, I, you name it. I just, I, I, I was dedicated. I was going to try anything. And, and it, what ended up helping was I found a functional medicine mentor who really helped me understand a lot of the, the lab testing that was more nuanced for root cause that together with a, a meditation and movement practice that, that on the inside really helped me. So I, I, the combination of, of this external finding the labs that helped me find the root causes that helped me dial my treatments in plus on the inside doing meditation and movement practices, breath work and cold exposure practices really helped in combination with each other for me to feel better and feel energy again. And, And I don't consider chronic fatigue to be an issue for me anymore. So I'm guessing the people that come to see you, because as you mentioned, they, they tend to seek you out. So therefore they are probably, well, they're not surprised maybe when you mention things such as cold therapy or treatments, which aren't a normal doctor wouldn't ever <laughs> suggest. Or are they surprised when you say things like that? Well, we some of them are a little, so we, we do try to offer therapies that people haven't tried because they have been to so many practitioners before. So, so often people think that, Oh, I've tried diet before nutrition, but then we do a very systematic process with them. That's different than they had tried before the say, you know, I've tried some breath work before, but then we talk about a very specific kind of breath work that's been researched for endotoxins and they're dealing with a toxin issue Mm. or, you know, they, so so people often are familiar and maybe think they've tried it, but it's, it's really, it is about building a whole, a whole lifestyle around these different aspects of, of health and wellness for people who, who are struggling with chronic disease because the world today is so full of weird things. We have a mismatch between our genetics and what's in the environment today. We weren't evolved to deal with all of the screen time, the chemical exposures, the, 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 the food additives and preservatives and, and the pesticides and all the air pollutants. And we're exposed to an enormous amount of things that are unprecedented from any other time in history. And so 
Whereas in the past, it may have been much simpler to live a simpler life and to to not need to do specific practices for health. Today, we live in a time where those who who really, especially those who have struggled with chronic health concerns, um, they need to, to find this 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 way of being in the world, this lifestyle that keeps their body very resilient in the face of these very significantly different times that we're living in than when we than, than how we evolved to live in. And so many things have changed in the world today and there are ways to the body is very resilient and and, and wants to heal and wants to be be very healthy and vibrant, but there are a lot of obstacles to that from the world and from consumerism and from the way that, that the everything today, there's a lot in the world that's, that's pushing people into a level of a level of, of really, it's a kind of addiction. There's a lot of dopamine activating things that, that are really pushing people into these pleasure states that are distracting from things that used to be very commonplace, like spending time outside and getting sun and having nature time. And, and there are a lot of things that, that have changed in the world today. So, so these uh, building a lifestyle around health has become more important today than it ever was before in history, I think. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe that creating healthy habits should be easy. If you know a friend or a loved one who might be interested in learning simple habits to improve their health, then please share this podcast with them. We also invite you to subscribe and to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show. Changing someone's lifestyle must be one of the most difficult things that someone can do because it's to change someone's whole lifestyle is like is is, is huge and it must be. I guess some people must really struggle with it. Um, And what's your experience with trying to help people change their lifestyle? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because there are many people who just aren't wanting to are ready to change their lifestyle. And, and they usually don't seek a practice like ours out or, or in our initial conversation, we, it, it becomes clear that we're not a fit because we are looking at, how to live a healthful life and not just how to take something to get rid of some symptoms that someone's experiencing. And, and so I do encounter mostly people who are ready and interested in, in a way of living in the world that's going to be health promoting. So uh, luckily the, I don't have to broach that as much as I think other practitioners might, because people come in who are, already ready to do that. And I think the, you know, the old quote that that's, that's, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's, it's kind of like people think they can do the same things and add a pill on top and be okay. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, we're, we're waiting for the people who are, who have decided that that's, they're they're fed up with the, the their struggles in terms of, of of health picture and 
and, and happiness too is so important and, and a big focus because I think when people start to tune into the uh, the the way that the the person the way that people live that that produces health concerns also uh, there's often a, a, a dissatisfaction or an underlying it's maybe not overt depression always sometimes it is but but to, the, I think the mind also really wants for people to be doing certain things like many of the health promoting behaviors promote happiness as well. Mm. We know, for example, that getting out for a walk in nature has such a dramatic effect both on health and happiness. And we know that doing something like cold exposure increases norepinephrine significantly by 200 to 300% after just a very short time. And, and doctors will give norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors for depression to try to increase the amounts of norepinephrine available in the system. And when someone can spend two minutes in the cold and get a 200 to 300% increase in norepinephrine, they can feel so alive again, and they can feel empowered that they've done it for themselves and they don't need to take a pill to do it. And they don't tend to have the same side effects. In fact, they tend to have positive side effects of that you also get more dopamine and you also get lowered inflammation as a result. And you get these side benefits with some of these things. And so there's a lot of science to things like breath work, things like cold exposure, things like meditation. And yet it is, as you mentioned, a lifestyle change. And that's really hard for people. And I, I'm compassionate with that. Sometimes it's hard to even just get through the day to day in life and manage the, the necessities of a job and a relationship and, and how to get by in life. And so I wish there was, uh, you know, I, luckily there are many tools that are freely available and practices that people can do without a lot of investment that are good starting points. You know, of course, people who come to our clinic, they're ready to really dive deep with changing many things, but there's, there, there are entry points where many people will start with just one five minute meditation or one short breath practice or one end the shower on cold for 30 seconds. And, and that can be an entry point for people. And I'm guessing that, I mean, it's, it must be difficult for them as, we, as we've talked about to make the change in the first place is extremely difficult. But some of them may go in, and I'm just guessing here, some of them may go in with the thinking, okay, well, once I've sorted all my issues out, then I'll go back to my old lifestyle. But then maybe they realize, well, I've got rid of the issues, and actually my life is better now. I don't want to go back to that old lifestyle. Or or do you find that some people, they don't want to do this change permanently? They, they want to go back to some of the things they used to do before. I mean, what, what's your experience with that? Yeah, well... The way I'm, I frame it for people in the clinic is we have a therapeutic phase and then there's a maintenance phase. And the therapeutic phase is probably more intensive than you want to live with for the rest of your life. Mm. So during the therapeutic phase, we do intensive lab work. We identify is there Lyme disease, is there a, a chronic inflammatory response from mold toxin, is there a gut issue like small intestine bacterial overgrowth or a parasite. We figure all that out. And then we do a very intensive phase of treatment. We might have people highly restrict their diet for two months 
and then gradually start to add back one food at a time in a very systematic way in order to determine what their system responds well to while we're also eradicating an infection and we're also eliminating toxin from the body and then we're reducing that chronic inflammatory burden and then as people start to feel better we we transition and we say okay now we're looking to find a maintenance plan which is essentially something that you feel is a lifestyle that you could live with ongoingly that maximizes the benefits of how you feel good we want to keep you feeling good we want to keep the changes that we've been able to achieve with this therapeutic phase and we want to minimize the chances of recurrence or, or going back or slipping back into how you used to feel. So you're not going to be able to go back entirely to the way that you were before, but you're not also going to have to stay in as extreme of a limited diet where you have to plan all your meals and you know, it's hard to eat out. And, you know, we don't, we don't want that for people that, that would get in the way of happiness and, and socialization and it would cause loneliness and other things. So we want this maintenance plan for people to where, okay, you have a, you have a varied diet that you can eat out, but you know, the things that are the, 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 the few things that really you don't do well with your body, at this time doesn't do well with, so you're going to avoid those. And then you're, you know, you, you don't need to spend three hours a day meditating, but that you have a practice that's a daily practice that you're doing some brain retraining or meditation or a breath practice or a cold exposure or a little of a few of those. You don't need to do all of them every day, but can we, you know, have a, a plan or a schedule to do some of these practices regularly enough that you're feeling really good and vibrant. And so it's a it's sort of a, a collaborative kind of a dialogue around what would you feel really good about doing for the rest of your life? And some people say, you know, like I feel so good right now. I don't want to start to eat processed foods anymore. I don't want to eat sugar anymore. I, I, I feel so good and I don't want to compromise or, or risk that. And I'm happy to live with that. You know, I'm happy to forego the dessert. I'm happy to be doing this cold practice, which isn't pleasant, but I want to like, I feel so good that I can't imagine not doing it. And so, so we find those things that people, cause everyone's a little different. Some people, they love meditation and they feel so good. Other people, it's just not, it, it's, it, it helps them and they know it helps them, but it's a struggle every time. And they're not, you know, for them, maybe it's, it's that they, they, they do that as a, just a very, very short window. They, they do the minimum. We find the minimum effective dose on that and, and, and get them, you know, to not have to do a lot of that for their maintenance plan, but we help them to do more of other things that they really enjoy. You talked about how people seek out what you do. I'm wondering in on the population as a whole, I mean, you know, you'd probably know more about the United States rather than globally, but on the population as a whole in, in the US, is functional medicine, integrative medicine becoming more widely accepted now? Is it more more people seeking it out, do you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. More people are seeking it out for sure. And the word is spreading and people are getting results and they're telling other people. And 
And, you know, where I live in Colorado, there's probably a couple dozen functional medicine practices. Now, there are different specializations and different uh, ways that they go about the process. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I'm sure it's in the thousands of practitioners across the United States who have moved in the direction of functional medicine because they want to do something that they couldn't achieve in the conventional medical practice. There's still a lot of, unfortunately in, in today's world, there's, there's still a lot of prejudice and intolerance in the, the medical world. We've sort of come a long way in, in with race and, and gender, people are more tolerant, but for some reason in the medical world, there's still this stigma that, that seems permissible to, to down talk people who are doing it differently than the conventional way of doing it. And people feel justified in calling practitioners, things like quacks or, or, um, you know, snake oil. There are all these names. There's this name calling. It's, it's really interesting. I'm fascinated by the fact that, oh, it's okay to, to, to prejudice here because, and I think that the justification is because, oh, there could be harm done if someone's not in integrity. And yeah, there, there are people who they're just trying to, to, to sell something and they, they're, they're overstating claims and, and that, that does cause some harm and there needs to be some regulation around what people can say. But, you know, it's, I think, unfortunately, right now we're in a very charged climate and, and it's, uh, it's easy to, it's easy to over, it's easy to get very polarized in today's world and to, to say, oh, you're either with the normal convention or you're against it. And it's, you know, the, the reason why this functional medicine has considered itself to be complementary medicine, not, not alternative. And that it, it complements, I, I want people to have gone through the diagnostic testing in the conventional model, ideally, you know, before they come or, or while they're at the clinic, we want to see what, what people, you know, mostly people try some things in the conventional world and they've exhausted their options. And that's where we can come and partner together with other practitioners who are doing more of a conventional model and we can work as a team. And, and I'd love for there to be more collaboration in the, the healthcare world, but unfortunately there is still stigma. There is prejudice, there is intolerance. And we do deal sometimes with people who, um, you know, they, they, they come, they work with us, they feel great. And then, uh, they go to a, some, a practitioner who has this prejudice and they say it was all bunk and it was all, you know, in their head that they got better. And, 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 and sometimes people buy into that. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange, it's a strange world that, that I'm, you know, I, I value tolerance highly being in uh, progressive, I was raised very progressively and I, I believe in, in really looking at deeply prejudice and, and looking at categorizations and looking at the way that, that we tend to box things in and try to understand things simply. And so my hope is that the medical community will move more towards this idea of, of complementary modalities that can work together, that can help people in different ways and that we can respect those different ways and that not everything's a good fit for everyone. And conventional medicine does a heck of a lot of harm for some people in some cases. And, 
and iatrogenic causes of death, which are causes of death from everything related to medicine, are, are in the analysis probably the number three cause of death in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's not intentional. It's, it's just a, a byproduct of infections in hospitals and side effects of medications and short time windows that practitioners are limited to spend with people. And they can't, you know, they can't, they can't help people to change their lifestyle, to change their diet, because how do you do that? And even if you want to, how do you do that with a, a, an eight to 12 minute visit that some doctors are being pushed down to in the insurance based model? And, and, and how do you, you know, how do you even start to have a conversation that's going to touch on, on lifestyle? All, all there's time to do is to just, just barely take a quick look at the labs and try and write a script or refer to a specialist or, or, or offer a a surgical intervention. That's just all there is in that system to be able to do with the limitations on it, which it's great that we have it. And I wouldn't want to sacrifice that, but can we allow for and add together a complementary approach of working together with other modalities that can actually sit down and spend an hour chatting through, tell me about your life. Tell me where, how things started when you started to notice what, what childhood issues were there, what things might've played a role and put together this picture of, of, wow, you know, I really, um, as a professional, I'm suspecting that you, you know, this, this water damage home you lived in as a child and this, this, um, early two, two year, first two years antibiotic regimes might've disrupted your gut. And then you had this toxin exposure and then you lived in this area with ticks and you got a lot of tick bites and you might've had an infection. And then this big stress pushed it over the edge. And we can have that conversation that's never able to happen in the limited time that's available in the conventional sessions. And so I think they complement each other really well. I, I strongly encourage people to take advantage of, of, of both offerings and really look at conventional medicine and functional medicine. And, and I hope that practitioners worldwide will, I, I think it's a growing field. The U S may be ahead of the curve as compared to some other countries, but, but I, I know that um, I know many practitioners who are in certain places in Europe, Germany. And I know, I know some places are, uh, practitioners are really starting to to move into this model as well. Mm. And and on that same subject, how do you? I mean, if I was to ask you to look at a crystal ball, how do you think things might change over the next few years, over the next decade? Sir? Well, I, I see a crisis coming. Unfortunately, if 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 there isn't big change, because for example, in the medical system, we know that. In the U.S., it, it, for someone who gets diagnosed type 2 diabetes, it costs the medical system about $14,000 per year per person. And many people are getting diagnosed earlier in their 30s, 20s, even juvenile diabetes for, for children. And and that those costs become astronomical. It's in the trillions of dollars a year that the U.S. spends on, on medical and and for many things, it's the, they're preventable it, with good lifestyle medicine and dietary change and, and good nutrition. And, and so 
unfortunately, the trend and the way it's moving, I see actually uh, the, the the pattern, the trend that's moving. And if we don't make some changes in the next ten to thirty years, I, I don't I don't know how we're going to cover the costs of healthcare because if the costs keep increasing, it's already enormous and astronomical the costs. And chronic disease is still on the rise. And if it keeps rising, and if the costs keep increasing, then it's going to bankrupt countries. I, I don't understand how the economics are going to work unless something happens to address the chronic disease epidemic. And it's the chronic disease epidemic where I see functional medicine playing such a big role. Uh, we For acute issues, if someone gets hit by a bus, go to a hospital, don't go to a functional medicine practitioner. But if you have a, an autoimmune disease, if you have something that's, that all you're, you're only offering is maybe an immunosuppressant drug for the rest of your life, or you're only offering is a pain medication to deal with pain that's coming up all the time, that's not normal. There's something underlying that issue. And I think if we get into the cycle and the habit of only managing symptoms from a medical perspective that we will bankrupt governments and countries and it's not going to be tenable or feasible to continue. So I see, unfortunately, the path that we're heading down is unsustainable, not just on the environmental front, but on the medical front, it's very unsustainable. And mm -hmm. so I hope that there are efforts in order to really look at prevention, really look at chronic disease, not just management, but getting to root causes and, and offering things like if someone's pre-diabetic, usually the stats are within five years, they're diabetic, but would it be better to spend five to $10,000 to put together a very comprehensive nutrition and lifestyle program for those people who are in pre-diabetic, who we know within five years are going to be diabetic, who we know cost 14,000 per year per person. Would it be worth the investment of five to 10 in that pre-diabetic time to have a program that could very easily prevent diabetes from ever happening? And so this is the kind of thinking that I, I hope uh, sets in because if it doesn't, I'm very concerned about the economics of medicine in the future. Well, we are, as we're moving towards the, uh, the end of the episode, a question I ask a lot of guests and it's changing the tact from what we've just been talking about is, is there a book um, that you've really, that's really resonated with you in, in your life? Can you think of one? Yeah, so many, so many books. I I read a lot and 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 really learn a lot from from different books and and there are some in the realm of well, I'll get, I'll give one more in the realm of the the medical nutritional side and I'll give one in the realm more of the consciousness side because both are so important. So on the medical nutritional side, I really like Eating on the Wild Side by Joe Robinson. It's a very nice book that covers over – she reviewed over 6,000 studies looking at different foods and the phytonutrient contents of those foods and how preparing those foods makes a difference in the bioavailability of the nutrients. And there are a lot of really simple tools and tricks in that, things that I would never have thought of without reading the book, like – 
garlic stores allin and a heat-sensitive enzyme in different parts of the clove. So if you cook with garlic, you don't get allicin, which is that antimicrobial compound that people know garlic for. But if you press it and let it sit for 10 minutes on the cutting board, the enzyme reacts and it creates allicin and then allicin is heat stable. And then you can cook with garlic and get that antimicrobial benefit. Little things like that are just very fascinating to me. And so eating on the wild side is one. On the consciousness side, I really like this book called The Universe is a Green Dragon by Brian Swim. And it's I like it because it's done as a story. It's sort of like a two people dialoguing and talking and it, it it goes into the into the science of uh, sort of a cosmology of the universe and and all of the vastness of the universe and the 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 fact that you know we're one planet and a solar system of many planets that's in a galaxy of many many stars that's in a galactic cluster of many galaxies that's one of many galactic clusters in the universe and it just offers a i think perspective is huge you know i this is a phenomena like for example when people travel to uh, another country for the first time they get this culture shock and and i remember when i was little traveling to another country and and really having a, a significant sh- shift in perspective and so uh, that book gives i think a a nice feeling into the vastness of the universe. And it makes, it helps me to feel that the problems and concerns in my day-to-day life are smaller. They're there, they're still there, but they're smaller. And we're in such, such an amazing universe. Miles, if people want to find out more about you, get in contact with you, where are the best places for them to look? So my clinic website's a great resource for blog articles, for educational information. And if people want to work with me in the clinic, that's also the best place. So that's medicinewithheart.com. Medicine with Heart is the name of our clinic. And medicinewithheart.com is the website. Click on blog for a lot of those blog articles. And then there's a place to book a a free consult with one of the staff in the clinic to answer questions about how, how it looks to work with, uh, with us in the clinic. If people are interested in that, that's available through the website as well. And then of course, social people can connect on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash medicine with heart. And then same with Instagram, instagram.com slash medicine with heart, all one word. So people can connect there. And then on Amazon, they can search for Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lime. That's a book that we published. And Stress Resilience is another book as well. Um, if you search Stress Resilience, Dr. Miles, you'll see that. And if you search Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lime, uh, that I think it'll probably pop up without my name because that's a more unique title. Well, we'll put links to all of those books you've mentioned and, you know, and your social media links and everything will be in the show notes anyway. So just before we, before we finish, Miles, is there a a quotation that you particularly like? Yeah. One of my meditation, my, my main meditation teacher has a quote uh, that is within the depths of the human heart lies a paradise waiting to be revealed. And I think, so many people think of 
oh, how can I heal? Like it's something that's unnatural or that has to be forced. And how can I be happy? Like it's something to be achieved. But I kind of believe that it's, it's the natural state. It's like the, the quote to me within the depths of the human heart lies a paradise waiting to be revealed. Like it's as if, it's as if happiness and health and vibrancy and feeling connected and feeling filled with a sense of love towards yourself and towards life is the default. And, and, and I really feel that. And I feel that it's, it's cultural conditioning. It's, 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 it's the environment. It's the mismatch of our genetics and where we're at in the world today. And it's, there are many obstacles that there are many stressors. There are many, you know, things that, that are obstacles to what's inside coming forward. But I think if people do, for me, I know looking inside, really working on opening my heart and feeling into what is it that I need in order to feel complete and whole. And, and, and when I was able to really do practices and, and find things that, that were able to achieve that for me, I now, now I really feel like I'm, my life is devoted to helping and serving and supporting others because, because I'm complete in myself. And I think when people can tune inside to their heart and really feel into a sense or a part of themselves that's unaffected by the challenges and stressors of life, a part that's untainted. I believe we all have this part of us that's completely whole and untainted and untouchable by any of the difficulties and challenges in life. And that accessing that part can be so healing and can help to feel able to tune into meaning and purpose. And, and I, I, I feel so, much that that I've been blessed to be able to have a purposeful career path and a purposeful uh, way of of working with people in the world and and I want that for other people too and I know health gets in the way of that a lot so I work with chronic health but I also feel that there's an opportunity for people tuning inside to find a part of themselves that can transform their inner experience and that can translate into health improvements, happiness, purpose. And that's really where I feel that the, some of the important parts of life are. I would love to dig into some of the stuff you just talked about, but I think we'd be here for another couple of hours if we did. So I'm going to leave it there. But Miles, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for your time. Tony, I really appreciate it. Thank you and have a great day. Next week is episode 40 with Dr. Patrick Porter. He um, is the inventor of something called BrainTap, and he began his journey into the science of calming the brain at age 12, when his father taught him a relaxation method and also to his eight siblings. Porter soon recorded his first visualization on a cassette recorder and used it to transform himself from a self-professed struggling student and story troublemaker into a three-sport athletic captain as well as an honour roll student. And we're going to hear a lot more about Patrick Porter, about brain tap, binaural beats, what are they, how do they help people. That's all coming up in next week's episode with Dr. Dr. Patrick Porter. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. If you know anyone, once again, who would get some value from this one with Dr. Miles Nichols, then please do share it with them and hope you have a great week. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.